Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Traditionally, financial planning advice is either only for those who are already wealthy or salespeople calling themselves financial advisors who say they'll give you free financial advice but really just sell products to earn commissions. Fearless Finance takes a dramatic departure from either of those traditional models. Their entire business is built on making financial advice accessible and affordable because we know that financial literacy, stress reduction, and financial security are critical to overall well-being. I'm a little bit obsessed with Elizabeth, our Fearless Finance Advisor. I've had an array of advisors in the past who answered questions like, should we be spending less on this with evasive answers like, it depends on your priorities. Not Elizabeth. She answers with actually helpful guidelines. You're spending more than the average family of five, or I'd like to see this increase by 6%. Uh, thank you. This is Fearless Finance's mission, to make advice affordable and accessible. You meet with your planner virtually, and they charge you by the hour. You only pay for the time you use down to a quarter hour. Their planners meet with you where you are on your financial journey, no judgment. Visit fearlessfinance.com today. You can chat with a planner for free to make sure it's a good fit, and you'll get $50 off your first planning meeting when you use the code Pantsuit. That's fearlessfinance.com and use code Pantsuit for $50 off your first planning meeting. Watching Raising Miss President made me realize for the first time that maybe I hadn't been delaying my dreams of running for office because of realistic personal limitations but because of the subtle societal influences that hold women back. It gave me the courage to make plans and take the next step. I can honestly say I wouldn't be running for city commission if it wasn't for this film. Today, we're here with Raising Miss President's director, writer, and producer, Kylie Lane Parker, to talk about women, politics, and the next generation of female leaders. This is Sarah from the left. And Beth from the right. You're listening to Pantsuit Politics. No shouting, no insults, plenty of nuance. Welcome to another episode, everybody. Before we dive in um, with Kylie, who's here for the whole show, we're so excited. Um, we wanted to make sure you guys know to check out our website, PaintsuitPoliticsShow.com. Get you a t-shirt. They're going quick. And if you're willing, we are. Um, we have people subscribing um, to be supporters of our show, so we would love your support if that's something you'd be willing to do. And now we're going to get started with the pearls. Before um, we sort of sort of this discussion section of the pearls, we wanted to take a second and, you know, sort of give thoughts and love to the people of Ecuador and Japan. Um, there were two terrible earthquakes recently. And one t- town, t- town in Japan, they said, got hit twice, Beth. Did you see that? 
No, it's just awful. But I, I was also following another tragedy. I don't know if you saw that. I think about 700 Somalis died in a, an accident in the Mediterranean Sea. Uh, refugees headed to Italy. Oh, so, I mean, it's no. just another horrific situation. So a lot of um, good thoughts extended in a lot of directions right now. Mm-hmm. So welcome, Kylie. We're so happy to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. We're so, sorry to mention earthquakes and, um, yeah. you know, boat wrecks before we introduce you, but we're really happy that you're yeah. here. Yeah. No, <laughs> please. I mean, those are extremely important current events. Um, but, yeah, I, Sarah, you reading that quote, I just, it gives me goosebumps. Aw, thanks. Well, thanks for, <laughs> you know, thanks for making this film that sort of changed the course of my life. Um, well, before we dive in, we're going to let Kylie join in on some conversations uh, following up on the briefcase on Friday. Y'all, I was so sick. I'm not going to get into it, but I was so <laughs> sick. But I'm better now, and I got some thoughts on some of the things Beth talked about. Uh, so, Beth, you guys, on or you guys, it wasn't you guys, it was just you. Um, it was just me, and I posted this on social media, but you could picture me kind of like Bridget Jones, like in the beginning of the movie when she's doing all by myself. I was like, what is going on here? I didn't I didn't love it, to be honest with you. So I had a few thoughts when I was listening. Um, one that, um, well, with regards to sort of Hillary and Bernie and the debate, I did not watch the debate. I did not. Um, I'm just sort of over them. I'm just going to be real honest. I don't feel like we're learning anything new. And I'm not really, I'm just glad that was the last one. That was the last one, right? Well, who knows? But I, <laughs> I think it's the last one that's been scheduled. And it's so sad because I never want to say that we're better off for not having debates. Like, that's tragic. But I think that's where we are. Kylie, did you get to see the debate? Um, I actually saw part of it. And in preparation for this call today, I was re-watching the entire debate and got through the vast majority of it. But I have to say that, you know, it's interesting because a lot of it, you know, a lot of, I usually check out the commentary these days afterwards because I'm in bed by nine o'clock and there's a lot of yelling, um, which I didn't, I didn't feel was extremely effective. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I think everyone is kind of saying that they're, they're on the same level. And so there isn't really anything new that's coming to the table. Well, and the only thing I was going to push back that you said, Beth, was the idea that you said something about, like, no candidate should be judged by the sort of extreme factions of their um, thing, and particularly in relationships to Bernie. But I do think we do that to Donald Trump, and I do think sometimes it's deserved. Yeah, I didn't mean it just in connection with Bernie. I mean, I saw some pretty inflammatory stuff on Twitter from Hillary supporters over yeah. the weekend, too. And that's what I'm saying. Like, I just I don't think as a general rule, that either of these people deserve to be tagged with this conduct. I mean, I think both Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders are, you know, people who are running campaigns that they they want to be about ideas and not this kind of mudslinging. I, I, think, I think both of them would silence those factions of their support if they could, and, and we should give them the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, I think everybody's running real low on benefit of the doubt at this point in the process. Yeah, I get it. I get it. I know I am. <laughs> I'm running low on everything at this point in the process. I'm ready for the primary to be over with. And I feel like we still have so much drama left, particularly on the Republican side. Yeah, and, I, you know, I'm out of benefit of the doubt on the Republican side, too. Look, there's nothing good going on. That's why it makes me sad that I don't want any more debates. I also just am 
I, I was watching Meet the Press to prepare for the show that I DVR'd because that's how big of a dork I am. I, DVR'd I heard George was on. George was on, and I love George Clooney, who is from Kentucky, so we love George here in a lot of ways, but man, it that wore me out, too, because George is basically saying, yeah, these fundraisers that I'm hosting, they're obscene, Yeah, but that's what it is, and I just thought, like, what, you guys all have the, Hillary Clinton is one of the best known people to ever run for president in the history of ever. Like, isn't there a point where if people, and I'm not saying this falls entirely at her feet or anyone else's, but it would be great to just say, like, yeah, I get that this is the way it is, but I, we're just not going to do that anymore. That's part of what I loved about Celis Wilder, who we had on in the last episode. He just, at the top, said, like, I'm not really about the fundraising. Yeah. And I really appreciate that kind of courage and think if more people did that, then maybe we don't have to kind of go on Meet the Press and sort of defend $353,000 a couple fundraising at Hollywood celebrities houses and then try to like, this is what George did that really kind of got my blood pressure up. Like try to differentiate that from corporate giving to super PACs. Uh, mm. Like I fail to see the distinction. I, bet that was some, I think money's money, you know, I think that was some mental gymnastics for sure. It totally was. So um, the other thing you discussed on Friday's brief case was family leave, pay family leave. Um, do you want to sort of give just a summary for anybody who might not have caught the episode? Sure. We were talking about family leave in the context of the wage gap. And so really, I didn't even get into, like, should paid family leave be mandated? It was more, does the wage gap exist in part or largely because of family leave? Um, and and a, the conversation that I got into on Facebook with someone who listened to some of our shows was like, look, family leave is not good for businesses. That was his point. And I said, yeah, I think it is. And we sort of went back and forth. And um, one update to that conversation, he sent us kind of a funny video of a comedian talking about how, well, the wage gap is, is attributable in part to men surcharging for having to, like, always get the women and children out of any tragedy. And it was funny. And I said, cool, we'll add a surcharge, a surcharge for childbirth, breastfeeding, oh. generally dealing with all the major events of life. How's that? Which is uh, more common than you trying to get us out of an emergency. Right. <laughs> so I had, I had a new perspective on this that I sort of put. I had listened to a really good podcast that talked about, you know, that family leave is not because somebody is looking at a male and female and going, you know what, I'm going to consciously play the woman left. But it's because we don't value caregiving in our society and so anywhere you know we're not just talking about maternity leave and paternity leave but caring for sick family members caring for elderly parents um women and i think there's a, a strong argument because it's not valued it is put off on women i do not i don't go for the argument of oh we're just more nurturing from birth it's just not something that i believe um and so we don't value that and then I was listening to Call Your Girlfriend, which is a great podcast, and they had Melinda Gates on, and she was, like, talking about basically, like, the entire world economy is propped up on this unpaid labor that females do from, you know, in third world countries where you're talking, and she was talking about, like, 164 billion hours. I feel like it was, like, a day. It was some insane number that women spend just carrying water because we need water to live, and somebody's got to do it, and the women do it, and they don't get paid. And, you know... Our entire economy is like, you know, 
propped up on people, all this care that has to be done. It has to be done as a society. People have to have children. People have to care for them. We have to care for the elderly. And unless your proposal is everything needs to be farmed out to employees to do all that, which I think is probably a bit unrealistic, then it has to be done. And the, I think the problem right now is that women do it and there's no value. They're, they're, they receive no economic benefit from something from activities that are economically beneficial. Right. And so I don't think I think the discussion about corporations and employees and are they is it beneficial to the corporation is way too small. It's an economic thing that affects everyone, not just the corporation or the employer and the employee. This is a big this is a big source of unpaid labor in our society. And no one's saying like, oh, everybody needs to get paid. You know, we, you know, we're going to start paying salaries for everyone that cares for their family members. That's not the point. But that it needs to be divided fairly among the genders because one gender is shouldering that burden of, our, the, of care that needs to take place in our society and seeing no, and being punished economically for something that has to happen anyway. What are your thoughts on this, Kylie? Well, I'm just saying, I mean, the issue obviously is so complex. And from all the reports, I mean, we just make it – when I look at the reports, it's like, well, you know, we're we're talking about kind of apples and oranges when it comes to, you know, those families that choose to have children versus those who don't, you know. So the argument comes in of, like, there are plenty of, you know, equal families who I think the statistic today that, you know, men are – Men are doing more housework and more caregiving than they did in the 1950s, but it's still not enough. So that, of course, makes your point valid. But, you know, when it comes into who's going to pay for it, you know, that's obviously where people start having the huge debate. And so that's why the issue, you know, the wage gap and then, of course, paid family leave comes in. And it is up to the businesses. And that's why the large corporations, I think, have actually taken a great stance in offering both you know, parental leave for, you know, men and women because they do see a value mm-hmm. in keeping their workers and keeping their workers happy. Um, yeah. You know, I, I've heard I've heard Melinda Bates speak and I've read a lot of her commentary and she's correct. You know, there is a huge unpaid labor force, you know, that's propped up by women. But also on the same side, you know, it's about the fact that if women left the workforce in substantial numbers, you know, like they did, you know, if we went back to prior to the 1980s, you know, we would have a huge economic decline, mm-hmm. you know, so we're also paying in, you know, as being paid workers. And so, you know, and then I working just, a second shift, basically. And working a second shift. And, you know, I just, I think that it's a more complicated debate and really needs to be, be looked at with care uh, for for those factors because it is holistic. I mean, it's not just a matter of, you know, taxpayers paying for women to take care of their families. Yeah. That's just not, that's not what it is. Well, and I think, you know, what I tell people is, you know, I'm raising three boys and what sort of my new argument is that sort of feminist frontier as far as the next generation to me, I think we've done a, a pretty good, it's not perfect, but I think we've done a pretty good job of opening up the world to girls little girls and saying, you can do anything. Now, do we, in practice, does that always happen? No. But sort of, you can be a coder. You can be a scientist. You can be a sports star. Like, you, all these things that used to be sort of male, male, only boys can do these things. Now we let girls do them, wet, quote, unquote. And I think we've done a really bad job of opening up the world of sort of female 
activities to little little boys, you know. We don't. Oh, exactly. You know, people agree. lose it when my little boys paint their nails. Like, it makes them so uncomfortable. And that is something as small as painting the nails. Like, talk about valuing, like, the caregiving that women do. And if they see a little boy doing that, is that okay? No, it's not because they don't see that as valuable. And it's threatening to think that a man could do it. Even though we do, we've made such strides. I mean, you can, like, my little boys paint their nails or want to wear makeup or want to do something quote, you know, sort of traditionally feminine, people lose it, they lose it. Yeah. Well, and if you want to go really holistic, you know, I think the entire approach that we have to anything that involves caregiving mm-hmm. is um, is kind of shut down compared to other cultures. Um, I know that you love Kim Miller, who was a professor at Transylvania. I think she's still there. No, no, um, she's at Wheaton. She went to Wheaton. Oh, is she? She works at Wheaton. Yeah, she's been there a long she, time. She was terrific, and I took a class with her on African art. And in the course of that class, we spent a lot of time talking about how um, in most cultures, and particularly in African cultures, birth and death are rituals that are really driven by women. Mm. And they're very creative processes, and they, um, they're time-intensive and labor-intensive and um, emotionally intensive processes, whereas in the United States, uh, birth has been medicalized mm-hmm. and death is handled in a in an industry dominated by men. If you think about funeral homes and morticians and and our art around death is cold and, um, you know, it's concrete, basically. And just that contrast, I mean, so, so this is a huge debate, right? Yeah. But if you think about how much power has been sort of sucked out of caregiving from just the way we approach the absolutely necessary aspects of it, and then you want to take that out to, like, how much time and space should a family really get around the addition of a child to the family? I mean, we, we just have a lot of discussing to do. Now, that's way out there from, a, from the question of, like, how is leave good for business? But if you want to get into the larger social and economic landscape, there's a lot of ground to plow. Mm-hmm. A lot of nuanced ground, if I do say so myself. So I thought I would kick off this segment with just talking um, a little bit about my experience with the film. And then Kylie can kind of back us up and tell us how it came about. But I um, found the film and got to see it through Her Kentucky, which is a great website. Um, I got to interview Kylie. And sort of what I said in the intro I realized watching the film that all these things I'd been telling myself, oh, I need to be in the background, oh, I need to be more experienced, really weren't about me, but sort of things that women traditionally tell themselves um, when considering sort of political leadership. And it really rocked my world. And long story short, I I watched that film. It, you know, sort of deeply affected me. And I thought, I do want to do this. I don't know what I'm waiting for. And so I had, I, the next I mean, I don't think it was like a few weeks later. I applied for Emerge Kentucky, which is a political training program for Democratic women. It's there's Emerge America. They're all if you should if you're considering public office and you're a Democratic woman, definitely Google it and see if you have it in your state because it's the most phenomenal program. We spend like one week a weekend a month getting together together and we get trained in fundraising and field work and all these amazing things. And you have to pledge that you'll run for office in five years. And I wrote, I'll run for city commission on my little sheet. And two years later, here I am. So. A formal public thank you, Kylie, for your film. <laughs> thank you so much. It was definitely a labor of love. So, so tell so tell us how it came about. So 
in 2011, well, a little bit about my background. So I kind of grew up as a documentary filmmaker, um, have now branched over into some narrative work, but really focused on news and politics and loving to create a world program where people are able to decide for themselves whether or not they believe the message that's being presented to them. And full disclosure, considering we are in a very right, right, left and, and nuanced world, I'm an independent. And mm-hmm. so I like to take uh, sides on, on both sides of the fence. And so it was really important to me to create a nonpartisan environment for the film because we are speaking to young women. Um, after traveling the country and doing a series of interviews, I realized that the problem of female leadership and in general, um, not just in politics, um, was starting, you know, at the, the upper, upper middle school and high school level. And so by the time women leave college, you know, they're not really looking at politics. And so, um, you know, I, I wanted to do something new and interesting and complicated and 2010 rolled around and we had a record number of Republican women running for office. Then we had women who lost overall. And I think that the seed was planted actually in 2008 when I was a little bit astounded that Hillary Clinton did not receive her party's nomination for president. I thought that she was by far the most qualified candidate. So it started, I started asking myself the question of, you know, well, why don't more women run for office? Why, when they do run, perhaps, you know, people are unlikable? Um, you know, what are, all, what are all of the differences in leadership and power? And perhaps women just don't want to run. That's kind of what I was asking myself. And so, like I said, by 2010, it was obvious that more women were running, so to speak, on the Republican side. I think that a lot of that had to do with Sarah Palin, that I started to ask the bigger question and wanted to do a documentary about it because I thought the media was talking about the need for more women in office, but no one was talking about the why. Mm. And so that's what I wanted to answer was why the, why there weren't, weren't more women running and winning elected office at the time. Well, and one of my favorite things you answer in the film is sort of, does it matter? Like, is there something different about women and political leadership on both sides of the aisle that like, does, does it make a difference? I think you did a really beautiful job of going, uh, yeah, it does. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, in general, across the board, you know, there is a difference. There are proven differences in the way that women might compare to them that I think are important. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. For people who haven't seen the film, can you talk a little bit more about what those differences are and um, what you think women considering a run for office should kind of see as strengths that they might not be aware of? Yeah, so in the film, I don't touch too much on um, the differences in leadership. Hey, everyone. I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash boast. 
We use our phones for everything at this point, but did you know that you can use it for some sexy me time? Don't worry, your fantasies are safe with Dipsy. Just don't forget to use your headphones. Dipsy is an app full of hundreds of short, sexy audio stories designed by women for women. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. And there's a growing library, a fantasy series with vampires, Greek gods, and fairy smut to explore the bounds of your pleasure. New content is released every week. So in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. They also have soothing sleep stories, wellness sessions, and sexy written stories to read. Let Dipsy be your go-to place to spice up your me time. Explore your fantasies, relax and unwind, or even heat things up with a partner. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to D-I-P-S-E-A stories.com slash pantsuit. Dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. My son Oliver is almost two. The desire for more hours in the day has never been more real for me in my life. An extra hour for reading, for sleeping, for working, for playing. I could use any of it. A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. The question is, time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and to then make it a priority. Therapy can help you figure that out, help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. Just last week, my mom actually asked me about my experience with BetterHelp after hearing ads like this one for it. And I'm telling you what I told her. BetterHelp was the perfect solution for me in a time of my life when I had too many plates to juggle, but still very much needed to talk to someone about the experience of keeping all those plates in the air. BetterHelp made therapy easy and accessible right when those were qualities I needed most. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, suited to your schedule. You just fill out a very brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and then you can switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash pantsuit. a lot about the reasons why women don't run for office and make the case of for a better democracy, why we need uh, more parity in office. And, you know, some of the some of the differences that I do ultimately touch on is, you know, the idea of teamwork and being more collaborative. I also think that empathy is a big factor. Um, and, you know, in recent years, studies have come out to really talk about the effectiveness. And so not just focusing on the fact that men and women lead differently because all people live differently, but it is proven that female lawmakers are more effective. They sign more legislation. They also co-sponsor more bills, which I think is extremely important because gender partisanship in the last, uh, you know, four to eight years has really trumped the gender card. Um, if people want to look at it that way. And so people are more likely to divide along party lines. And so women are still more willing to cross that party line in order to co-sponsor bills and push legislation through. So, And we don't get too much into that in the film, but, you know, I think that that is important for that second question, Beth, of, you know, why why I'm still continuing this work. I mean, we finished, we finished the film in 2013, and what's really exciting is, 
it's been airing across the country via universities and in, in organizations. But this year, we were just picked up by American Public Television. And so it's now airing across the country um, via American Public Television. So a lot of people can pick it up now on their local PBS network. Awesome. And so, yeah, it's really exciting, something that we are working really hard towards. Uh, so, you know, I think that as we continue these conversations, you know, that's really important to look at is, you know, how how they lead, how women lead differently and how more effective they can be. So what do you think are some of the biggest um, hurdles to women running for public office? Ooh, I think the number one thing um, that hold women back are themselves, mm. honestly. Um, you know, kind of as Sarah has alluded to, you know, a lot of women kind of claim that, you know, being being frightened or unsure, you know, they're, qual- they're unsure of their qualifications to lead, even though, you know, I interviewed Richard Fox, who co-wrote um, a number of books now with Jennifer Lawless out of American University, and his, one of their first books was about why women don't run for office, and he said one of the biggest factors is the fact that women don't believe in their qualifications to lead, mm-hmm. even though resume to resume of what they polled with men, you know, they're the exact same. But women will purport that, you know, they're just they're just not qualified. And then they lack political ambition. And I think that that lack of political ambition is actually due to societal factors. Yeah, Either that's with what I was family, say. Yeah, or society in general. Just, you know, even though women score higher in all forms of leadership, um, studies still show that if just asked, do you prefer a female boss to a male boss? You know, those people will say a male boss. Right. Even though they've said, you know, given all of these other reasons why women make great leaders. Well, um, and, I think you yeah. run into sort of, you know, you we're not dumb. Like, we can see what happens to women in the spotlight and women leaders in our own life and women leaders in the public eye in that they can't win. You know, it's sort of like the lean in. She talks about this, I think, a lot in lean in that, like, you know, you can't if you're not not if you're not nice, you're if you're ambitious, you're not nice. If you're nice, you're not ambitious, you know. So it's like you it's a double bind. You can't win for losing. And it's like especially with female politicians. I mean, who, I mean, I, you know, I had somebody ask me the other day, basically, like, what's the matter with you that you're running for public office? And I was like, I don't know, really. I don't, I mean, I don't know. I can see how Hillary Clinton gets treated. It's not, it's sort of sometimes you think, like, why am I signing up for this? But, you know, it's service. It's important. I really think, I believe strongly in the idea of female voices at the table. So it's just such a hard thing to do, though, when you watch how f- women get treated. Right. I wonder if Yeah, that, media, yeah. I, I'm sorry. I wonder if that ethic of caregiving that we talked about at the beginning influences that, too, because a lot of women that I talk with kind of say, look, I could handle it. I'm tough. I have thick skin, but I would never put my family through it. Mm. I wonder if that's a thought that women tend to have and follow and um, kind of buy into more than men. That's interesting. You know, I haven't studied that. I mean, I I would say most likely um, mm-hmm. that is probably a factor. But what I have discussed with different people and actually had a, a while ago wrote a blog about the fact of how easy it is for men to put their family in the forefront because that is a symbol of 
well, look at me. I'm a family man. Here, here yeah. are these beautiful photos of my family, even if that might not be the case. Um, you know, and so that's, that's a badge of honor. Whereas women who, you know, and actually Sarah Palin suffered from this, you know, when she brought her family on the stage, people questioned her. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, how could she do that? How could she bring, you know, how could she have these, these young children out here? You know, she must be a bad mother. You know, and that to me was incredibly fascinating. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think I've, I've talked about that a little bit on the podcast that I felt that, you know, it's a sort of classic, like men who have children get promoted because they're seen as responsible and women get mommy tracked because they're seen as irresponsible because, you know, we define caregiving as a female task. And, you know, I think that there is also the idea in our culture that plays into, I think, a lot of this sort of, um, not that all public people who live in the public eye that, you know, there's a sort of public ownership and I have a right to to comment on your life choices. But it's particularly true, I think, for women that people just feel like I have a right to an opinion on (laughs) on your reproductive choices or how you raise your children or whatever it may be. I was going to let Beth chime in on that one. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, I I think that's true. And I was just sitting here thinking about women who don't have children and how it truly is a lose-lose situation because certainly if if you make the decision not to have children, you get all, you know, you're subjected to a whole other class of criticism. And the thing about Sarah Palin kind of struck a chord with me because, you know, I get those looks of like, you're a bad mom when I take my kids to a baseball game. You know, people just are so, uh, you're right, Sarah, there is a sense of ownership over caregiving in general, even as we kind of devalue it. So it's an interesting phenomenon. And I, I guess I wonder, so, you know, setting all of that aside, if I'm, you know, high school, early college, and I'm thinking about running for office. Kylie, are there things that you would suggest that I start doing to prepare myself? Yeah, so this is a this is really interesting. So, you know, middle school, high school especially, you will find that young women are the heads of they're the president of the class, they're vice president, they're the heads of the clubs, they are leaders on all of their sports teams, and yet for some reason, when they get to college, all of these things are trailing off. They're not as involved. And really what it comes down to, I think, is parents, teachers, and societal influences once they hit college, which, you know, can come from organizations. And again, you know, teachers kind of, I hate to say, you know, going back to Sarah, it's like we've done a really good job of, propping up women. We hear a lot about propping up young girls and leadership and empowerment, um, you know, but that's that's just where we are right now yeah. because men have had those things in the past and young men have had those things in the past. And so women do need an extra push. These young women do need extra encouragement. All the studies show that women need to be asked to run more so than men do. And so, you know, the high school, early college age, women – and young young girls really just need to be encouraged more to take on those leadership roles and stick with them. You know, once puberty hits, there is a huge divide that happens. You know, young girls start to get interested in other things, um, you know, things where I think I talk about this in the film because I narrated it, and a lot of it has to do with some of my own experiences is that, 
you're going along and you're playing with the boys and you're, you know, playing in the dirt and doing as many things that the boys are doing and then you hit puberty and suddenly because all of these external changes are happening, you're being told that you can't do those things or that you shouldn't do those things and that, you know, you see boys getting treated differently than you're treated yourself. And so I think that that those are a lot of the messages that we're trying to change in the film and with the dialogue around the film is that, you know, how can we encourage women and young women to lead and to be more about, you know, who they are on the inside than on the outside. And I know that that, you know, that's been around for forever, but it's still so true today, even with how empowered young women are. Well, and you know what I've talked about in the past that I think so it's sort of, it's like a chicken and the chicken and egg problem. You know, young girls have to see women in leadership positions. I think it, I've talked about this on the podcast. I think it really affected me that I grew up in Paducah with a female mayor who, who is still alive and is still awesome. Her name's Jerry Montgomery. But seeing her lead the city, I think it just, you know, it sort of put in my mind that that is a thing that is, exists in the world. You know, that's a thing that happens that women lead and that's a normal thing and that somebody like you can be in charge and that is just the reality of our world. My son told me this story, my six-year-old son, who is, you know, well-versed in the candidacy of Hillary Clinton, thank you very much, uh, was talking about at school that he had this little girl who, like, basically was arguing, like, yes, of course we've had a female president. And they, like, got a book and proved her wrong. And it made me want to cry. It made me want to cry. I think I might have cried. Just the idea that, like, oh, we get to, you know, she just assumed, rightly so, that that's a thing that exists, that somebody like her has been president. And, like, it just breaks my heart that that it's not true yet because I think it's so it's so affecting. Thinking about right. those comments and about leadership and uh, middle and high school and, and even down to elementary school, Sarah, like, something that I am really focused on in the more corporate setting is sort of how you develop this women's leadership skills as you go along. Um, without sort of losing the essence of why women make great leaders. Because I feel like as you start mm-hmm. to push women more and they get into the business world, um, that push for women can can start to feel like, and here's how you um, behave more like a stereotypical man in the workplace to get ahead. Mm-hmm. And I've had a lot of that um, training, I've self-selected into most of that training, you know, because I've, I've wanted to understand things and my reaction to it has really changed as I've gotten older. And I think some of that could apply to women looking at public service as well. Like, how do you maintain uh, the things about yourself that will, will ultimately make you more effective or make you effective in your own authentic way? And I think this would be true for men who have characteristics that are more stereotypically female. Um, and and still feel that push forward. I don't know. That's kind of a thorny mess of a thought, but um, it I, always I'm, it always feels really generational to me. What about you, Kylie? That sort of conflict between sort of act like act like men or keep a a distinctly female style. Right. I think I I agree that it's probably more generational. And I was laughing because I was like, you know, Jennifer Lawrence, another wonderful Kentuckian, Kentuckian, just had a a nice quote about that, and I have really worked on how to articulate the fact that being a woman, it, 
actually being different should be celebrated. Mm-hmm. And, you know, even though we want equality, you know, an equal playing field, that doesn't mean that you can't celebrate the differences that women bring, that women and men bring. Um, you know, we need men as as much as anyone to help in this kind of path for parity. And so, you know, having all of those wonderful things that statistically, you know, not every woman is the same. Not every woman is nurturing. Not every woman is a team player or collaborative. And not every, you know, not every woman is going to be the most effective lawmaker. But there are certain qualities in a woman, you know, across the board or in women across the board that that those things do matter. And so I think that, you know, you as a person should really celebrate those things. I know I I like the fact that I'm a woman and I like to celebrate those qualities. And I think perhaps that that tide is changing. You know, Beth, obviously maybe it's not. I mean, I, I thought that the tide was changing in terms of, you know, when we're talking about leadership and management that we are talking about those differences in men and women, not so much as I feel a lot was talked about Hillary Clinton, especially in 2008, of her feeling like she had to lead like a man. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, she didn't talk about being a woman. And I know that a lot of early candidates, specifically in politics, um, you know, they really went away from the gender card um, completely because they wanted to see, to just, you know, to see an equal um, without really bringing bringing to the forefront that, of course, they were a woman and they were running as a woman. So, um, you know, I yeah, chime in whenever. Yeah, and I think, you know, I think that it's so hard because, you know, you want to be respectful, particularly in the generational thing of, you know, your experience was different than mine and, you know, I don't want to sort of, whatever it took for you to survive, like, credit (laughs) like I don't understand that that's like a totally different thing but for me I even said I said this to my son tonight I said look you know we talk a lot about race and gender in my household probably surprising no one and I said but you know I'm right I'm raising three white boys that's what I'm raising right now and I told him I'm like you know I don't talk about race and gender because I think women are better or because I think that you know it's not it's not just because it's because I think your life would be better if there were more people at the table. I think there would be more solutions from different perspectives. And, you know, I think any diversity leadership, it's not diversity for diversity's sake. It's because the more perspectives you get, the better solutions you get, the more ideas you get, the more different ideas you get. And that is better for all of us. I posted an article. I was was trying to find it from New York Times. It was about, it was about these people, engineer, uh, these two scientists, I think it was a woman and a man, engineering basically like a better tampon, which is sort of weird, but just trust me on this. And they, she was just talking about like when you have homogenous or homogenous sort of perspectives, you have homogenous solutions. You miss things. Like tampons haven't changed for 20 years because there were men working on them, and it's sort of hard to have people who don't have experience with, these issues, trying to find solutions to them, you know, and there's so many issues. I think this happens a lot with female representation, um, you know, and it's it's stereotypical in a way, but, you know, you have females like, you know, I think about Kristen Gillibrand and sexual assault in the military, and I think there's a good argument that it took a woman on the, you know, the Armed Services Committee to have the perspective of, no, we're not going to, this is our number one issue. It's not just about defense spending. This is incredibly important. 
you know, I can see that as a woman and to bring that to the forefront. And I just, you know, the more, like I said, I just, I think it is a different, not necessarily a different style of leadership, but just a different perspective. Right. Well, and I mean, I am a, I'm a facts and figures person as much as I am a, an emotional person. But I, I mean, there are so many studies out there that show that having more diversity at the table leads to better results. And yeah. specifically in business, you know, if people are going to look at business as a model for how to run government, I mean, better sales, better returns. Mm-hmm. I mean, those statistics are out there. I mean, Forbes has it all over their site. So, yeah, like you know, board of directors. It's not just a, a thought. Right. Yeah, definitely. Well, one of the most interesting studies that I've seen recently also said that, like, like quotas don't work, right? It's mm-hmm. like it has to be real. You can't just say, oh, the formula is X number of seats occupied by women. It's like it has to be embedded at all levels of the organization for you to get those returns. And I think that is a nice translation for government as well. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we we had a a lot of people that we interviewed actually uh, talk about quotas, and we chose in the film not to get into them too much, um, more so because we made the film specific to TV, so it it rests at about uh, 54 minutes, and also good for programming for universities and organizations. And the topic of quotas, you know, it it's also extremely complex. Um, you know, my personal opinion on them, that here in the United States, quotas may not work because it'll always allow someone to question whether or not yeah. you're supposed to be there. Yeah. And that's why I hope that we can get to parity on our own resolve and not with quotas, although there are a lot of organizations working to implement quotas. So, mm-hmm. And I don't want to disrespect them and their work, but on a personal level, I just, I would hate for anyone to, you know, say someone didn't deserve to be there because of either their gender or race or, you know, anything else that's specific to that. Well, I do have to say it was sort of frustrating. I don't know if y'all remember this. When we went into Afghanistan, it was either Afghanistan or Iraq, or maybe it was both, and helped write their constitutions, and it was, like, required that they have 50% right. women totally in their right. legislator. I'm like, yeah. oh, that's great. That's so generous of us. That's really encouraging sitting here with like 30% in the United States or less sometimes, let's be honest. Yeah, that's really interesting. That's actually the one place um, that we do mention quotas is uh, Richard Fox actually stated the fact that Condoleezza Rice put that into their constitution. Mm-hmm. And so, we don't even, it's not even on the, on the, uh, you know, grand scale here. Like no one will touch it really at Congress. So. So I think, you know, we can't talk about uh, political leadership without talking about Hillary. So what are your thoughts on the current primary, either sort of how she's been treated differently than 2008? Do you think things have gotten better? Uh, what her chances are? Do you want to see a female president? Anything you want to sound off on about Hillary? Well, I think that she has won a much better campaign. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think, you know, it's hard for me. I am personally for Hillary Clinton. Um, I do want to see a female president, and it's not because that she's a woman. It's because I honestly think that she's the most qualified person for the job. I was looking at a a book the other day that kind of stated all of her achievements. Um, it was interesting. I found it in the it was in the kids section in Target, and I was like, oh my gosh, this is half hilarious that this was in the kids section at Target. It's about <laughs> Hillary Clinton, yeah. And, <laughs> 
And I was looking at this book, and it was, I mean, it was a cartoon, um, but it was called Hillary Rodden Clinton. And I had been looking for any kind of resume because I thought that it would be so interesting to pin her resume versus all of the other front runners, you know, Bernie Sanders, and to really have a comparison without anyone's name on them mm-hmm. and to send those out and to see what people would say or think. Um, you know, because she has just, she's done so much in her life. And I feel that if she wasn't Hillary Clinton, it would be a very different type of campaign. And if she was, you know, and perhaps even if she was a man, yeah. um, I would love to see how she would be treated and how she would be respected or disrespected on the national front. Um, you know, I have a lot of friends who are for Bernie Sanders. I also understand on the other side, you know, why there is this attraction to Trump. Yeah. Um, but I also, I hope, and I'm, I guess I should say, I've never understood the the vehement disregard for Hillary Clinton just as a candidate, just yeah. because she's Hillary Clinton. Um, and that's one that's one thing that really pains me. And I feel that there is just this dislike for her and whether or not it's founded in her policies, which I understand, but I also feel that a lot of it has to still deal, deal with the fact that we are in an age that women who really want something, we don't want them to have it. Yeah, I honestly feel that way. And, you know, so I just think I just give her props for the fact that she has been, on, uh, you know, a national figure for so long and she decided to run again yeah, and seriously. she win or lose. You know, she's still going to survive. And if she does win, I think that she'll be an excellent president. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, we had Rebecca Traster, a fabulous author, wrote uh, Big Girls Don't Cry About the 2008 Election, has a new book Mm -hmm. called The Single A's. Highly recommend it. But she was talking, you know, people love to talk about Elizabeth Warren. She's like, yeah, but she's not running. That's why, you you know, it's easy to like a woman that's not actually in it and not actually being ambitious and calculating to get the job. That's the, you know, that's sort of the issue is like we don't really like ambitious women. We don't really like calculating women who are, you know, trying to – to get to a certain space, even I think, and I really think even Sarah Palin suffered from a lot of the same sort of right. um, attitudes towards women. I read a really great thing that was basically like, would you be standing if people talked about you the way Hillary Clinton, they talk about Hillary Clinton? Like, how would that make you feel? Uh, yeah, I, badly. She's tough. That's for dang sure. Mm-hmm. Thinking about Sarah Palin, I think she has um, changed and in many ways deteriorated a lot since 2008. And um, I, I almost feel sad for her and her family with everything that's taken place. But if you, if you can kind of put the, the current iteration of Sarah Palin aside and go back to 2008, you know, this is a person who is infinitely more qualified than Donald Trump, Whoa, you know, even yeah. for all of her shortcomings mm-hmm. and the way that she was brutalized over her um, inability to speak articulately on every issue versus I mean, Donald Trump is brutalized in the media, but I don't think that he gets the your dumb treatment the way that she got it. Yeah. Right. I think that's fair. I think that's definitely fair. Yeah. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Traditionally, the advice would be pick one. But thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration ugh, ugh, out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, a.k.a. bra Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing, you know where, and have straps that actually 
actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. They even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get $15 off your order with code PODCAST15. That's code PODCAST15. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Well, so if you if, if you had a woman, um, let's say somebody running for city commission. No, I'm kidding. Somebody considering um, public office. Right now, like, what would you, what would be, what would you tell them to be the, like, the first step to go out and do? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I would probably say go and ask all of your closest friends and family what they think, mm. you know, and really it's about having them, you know, you have your easiest pitch to your friends and family. Yeah. And so if you're not able to, one of the, one of the things, another, you know, there's lots of obstacles that um, we've only touched on really the, the main one, but you know, it's really hard for women to ask for money and it's harder for us to hear no, because on a general scale, we are people pleasers and we want people to like us. And so if they say no, you know, if someone says no to money, um, you know, we get discouraged. And I think one of the, the greatest things to do is practicing on your friends and family, practice your pitch. And then when you go out, you kind of think about the fact that every no could be a potential yes in, in the grand scheme of things, because you could always go back to that no. And it's just kind of the same in business is that, you know, a lot of business people will say, well, you know, treat that, treat that no as, as a potential yes. And then you can always circle back. And once you gain more confidence, um, you know, you can always revisit um, all of those kind of potentials that you thought, you know, weren't working out in the beginning, whether or not that's with money or whether or not that's with your policies or, you know, it's a lot about practice and going through what it is that you want to say to your constituents, you know, what is your message? And so... I mean, that's what they tell you us know, in Emerge is basically, like, get your yeah. kitchen cabinet together and talk to everybody yeah. and get a plan. Get a plan with people you can really talk to without feeling, like you said, like feeling sort of insecure about it. Right, feeling insecure and, you know, not – and I guess, you know, in a roundabout way, I was trying to get to the point of not being discouraged if people say no. The best thing that you could probably ever do is run for office, especially, you know, if you – and it's not the end of the world if you lose because people – will recognize you no matter what as someone who puts themselves out there. Mm. And so doors tend to open up no matter what when you run for office because not only have you now gotten name recognition, so you can always run for an office in the future, but if you're an entrepreneur, it's great for business. Mm. Or if there is, 
something else that you really want to do that is in the public eye, it's really great. Um, and, you know, we talk a lot about today teaching kids how to fail. I think, you know, we're moving out of every kid should get a gold star, every kid yeah. should get a blue ribbon because there is a huge importance in failure. And I'm not, I'm not trying to just, you know, talk about, oh, it's, it's fine if, if you, if you lose, you know, I really do want more women to win. But the fact is, is that one of the reasons why women don't get into the race to begin with is because they're afraid to fail. Yeah. And so I just don't think that that should be something that you're worried about and that the success just comes in the fact that you are willing to put yourself out there in the first place. You know, and then there's obviously a lot of places that you can go for information. I mean, there's Emerge and, you know, Emerge in Kentucky and Emerge in America, which is so phenomenal. And they have graduated so many great women who are now running for office. And then now there's a new uh, Republican organization that is also trying to train women um, that was started by Julie Rocky Adams um, out of Louisville. And I think that we're going to see more Republican organizations who have seen the value in recruiting women and seeing what Emerge has done um, for not only our state, but for the country in general. Yeah, um, definitely, because I think so much of what Jennifer Moore, who runs Emerge Emerge America, says the biggest, one of the biggest challenges for women in political leadership is like there's this sort of pipeline that party, party leaders pull from and they say sort of, okay, we need somebody to run for this race. Who do we have in the, in the lower offices or who do we have in this sort of pipeline in which they use to feed into the other positions? And there aren't a lot of women in there. And so Emerge's goal is to get those women in the pipelines, to get their names known, to get to see, for people to see them as in leadership positions. And, and it definitely makes a difference. Yeah, definitely. You know, and there's there's lots of steps to take. Steps to take, but I really think that you know it has to do with really getting a plan together before you sign that paperwork because you'll just feel more confident once you start going door to door or asking for money. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. We're gonna wrap up the suit and move on to the heels. We're gonna talk about what Kylie's working on now. Ooh, fun. Well, I am still very diligently working on Raising Miss Presidents. Like I said, um, APT started airing Raising Miss Presidents um, across the nation and on the World Channel in March. And so we just started hearing all of the feedback on That's social awesome. media and, you know, in our email box. Um, you can always email me at Kylie at Um and it has been really glorious and wonderful. And for the next two years, it's going to be airing across the country. And so, you know, we're still kicking butt on that and um, trying to reach out to young women's organizations and universities. And I'm very much engaged in that uh, arena. And then, of course, with the possibility of having our first female president. And then I also have been working on a web series called Mommies. Oh, I like where the, I like this already. Tell us more. <laughs> so it's a comedy. I um, I wrote a 30-page script back uh, last year in December of 2014-2015. It actually ended up winning the best short screenplay at the LA Comedy Fest, and then my husband said you should shoot this and and direct it. And so in May of 2015, I directed 
uh, the baby shower, which is a comedy, which we can all imagine when it's about. It's about a baby shower. And because <laughs> what alert, baby shower it baby is shower. funny. <laughs> <laughs> and that has been um, going through the festival circuit uh, around the country. And so as a spinoff from that, I have been writing this web series, Mommies. And so I'm hoping to shoot the pilot soon. Um, and I really think that it will have a lot of legs because mommies are always looking for content and we're now on, you know, digital platforms more than we are on regular broadcast media. And so I hope for that to be a big success. And I'm also working on a TV show for KET as well as uh, for digital media called The Farmer and the Foodie, which is great. I'm working with these two wonderful hosts, uh, Maggie Keith and Lindsay McClave, who are the farmer and foodie. One is the owner of Fox Hollow Farm um, right outside of Louisville. And then um, Lindsay is a really great food writer and is getting her sommelier license. And they are so much fun. And so we're really focusing on homegrown cooking for any occasion. And so it's a cooking and lifestyle show. And so those are my, my probably two biggest projects. And I also have some other film stuff in the works. But I'm having a lot of fun. That's awesome. Have you seen Cooked on Netflix? Cooking? I have Cooked? not. Oh, you got to watch it. Is it called Cooked? I thought it was, it's either Cooking or Cooked. Beth, have you seen it? Michael Pollan's new show? I got to be honest with oh. you. We started watching it last night and I fell asleep. I, I mean, it's <laughs> interesting that it's not a comment on the show at all. It was more comment on my life. But yeah, I think it's called Cooked. I know the first episode was about fire and it, I mean, it did seem very interesting yeah. and, and beautifully shot. Oh, so good. I, I mean, I'm a, such a Michael Pollan disciple. He's I was a I was a vegetarian until I read the Omnivore's Dilemma. And he convinced me. I was like, okay, you convinced me. I'll start eating meat again. Um, but that it's the beautiful show on Netflix. If you have Netflix, check it out. And when you were talking to Kylie about sort of digital platforms, I was telling somebody the other day I, when I go in like houses or I'm looking. I'm not looking to buy a house, but I'm sort of always looking at houses because that's what my mom and I do is we look at houses. That's just, it's like in my DNA. And I go, I, now when I see houses with like a TV, like an actual physical TV in every room, I feel like it looks dated. I feel like it <laughs> looks like a couple years ago, like you don't need a TV in every room. That's why we have tablets and phones. <laughs> like It just seems sort of like 2003 to me now. I'm like, oh, that oh that's funny. You have a TV in any, every room. That's completely unnecessary. That's funny. Yeah. I mean, we, it's interesting because in 2010, my husband and I started our company, Parker Lane, and then we started this digital TV station, which was a YouTube channel called Kentucky Green TV. And we traveled the state and we were trying to tell stories about uh, green and sustainable issues to kind of change the conversation in Kentucky and really brand Kentucky as a place where positive things were happening. And we had great success. We met so many amazing people, and there we probably have, I think, close to 300 videos now on YouTube. But it was interesting because when we were trying to get – we didn't make any money. But when we were trying to get money, it was basically telling people, people are going to be watching TV online. We swear. We this promise. is where it's going. <laughs> we promise. And now it's here, you know. So we were a little bit – before our time, but yeah. we had a lot of fun doing that. I don't, I mean, I, we canceled our cable in 2011 and haven't looked back and I don't, you know, I almost always watch on a tablet or a screen. I, it's so rare. I watch my actual television. <laughs> yeah. I'm the same way. I mean, Hulu is, yeah, we don't have cable. I haven't had cable, I think since 2005. Wow. You really were ahead of your time. 
Uh, yeah, well, I mean, I think for five of those years, I don't think I watched much TV whatsoever. I was very much a documentary, and I think I went to the movies like twice a weekend. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on our show and sharing um, about Raising Miss President. Now, if somebody wants to watch Raising Miss President, where, I mean, where's the best place to go about and do that? So I will check your local PBS station to see if it's airing, and you can go either to aptonline.org and look up your station, or you can go straight to your station's website, depending on what state you live in. Um, they should have a have a full listing, and if it's not airing at your station, you can always send an email and say, you know, can we get Raising Miss President? Otherwise, you can go to RaisingMissPresident.com. You can order a DVD for $10, or if you're an organization or a school, you can always host a community screen. Yeah, community screening, if you have, you know, if you're in any way, shape, or form involved, like she was talking about with high school or middle school girls, go for it, y'all. It would be so great. I know we have a lot of listeners who are very passionate about this issue and already doing education sort of around politics and um, gender. So I hope somebody chooses yeah, to. We work, yeah, we work with a lot of teachers. You know, if um, just send me an email, you know, if, if you're a teacher or if you're a Girl Scout troop, or just want to do like a house party. Um, we have special uh, special fees and and different things uh, and opportunities for those types of groups that you know have you know smaller. I think our community screening is like a hundred plus, and so if you know you only have ten people, we definitely do something special for you. So you can always just shoot me an email and tell me what you want, and we can figure stuff out. All right. Well, thanks for joining us. Um, again, follow us on Facebook, Twitter. Um, and subscribe to our email list so you can get our new episodes delivered directly to your inbox. Beth, you want to wrap us up? Yeah, congratulations, Kylie Lane Parker. Thank you so much for being our guest today. And uh, we will enjoy chatting with you guys on social media. Until Friday, keep it nuanced, y'all. <laughs>